The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Welcome here. We're so glad that you guys have joined us this morning. Uh, whether you're here in person or online, we just welcome you and glad that you're here with us. Um, if you are new and you want to fill out a welcome card, you can do that online. Um, there is also a QR code that you can um, scan as well to get to that welcome card. Or in the seat pocket in front of you, there should be a card as well. Um, so... November 27th, Steve Bell will be here at our church. Uh, There are some tickets left over. Um, They will be sold after the service. Um, You can see Karen around the Resource Center if if you'd like to get some tickets. So that's on Sunday, November 27th at 7.30. On December 3rd is our membership meeting. The focus will be on the 2023 budget, but there will also be an opportunity to vote in a number of people for membership. So this will be right after the service. So join us for that. There are some special Christmas giving opportunities coming up in our church this December. Um, There's a Christmas offering. So on Sunday, December 11th through the 20th, we'll be accepting um, donations. Our goal is to raise 3,750 in support of a number of um, our ministries. So Far Corners, Canadian Baptist Ministries and Angel Tree Christmas. Uh, This year we're also doing something new. We're doing a Christmas hamper. So we want to make 60 hampers for families that that attend our food bank in order to ensure that they have a good Christmas this year and they're well stocked. Um, so that, sign up for that. Contact our, our church office um, for more information, but you can sign up to provide a hamper for families. So that's really exciting. Um, on December 3rd is our dessert and variety evening. We are so excited to put this on. Um, if you have a song, a skit, or a poem, or something to share, please contact Pastor Kevin, and he's going to be putting this all together. Um, we've had a lot of fun with this in the past, so we're really excited to put this on again. Um, more registration and information will be coming soon, so just look out for that in the email or on the website. We also have something really fun, which is why I'm here. <laughs> um, we're doing a gingerbread bash this year for our kids and families. It's a family event, so you come here with your kids. Um, so save the date. That's also on December 3rd. That will be before the dessert and variety evening, so you can attend both. So the gingerbread bash will be from 6 to 7. The dessert and variety evening is at starting at 7.30. Um, so instead of making a gingerbread house with your families, you're going to be making a gingerbread nativity. So there'll be songs, there'll be nativity making, um, and listening to the Bible story, and just some great family time and lots of fun. So we're excited for that. Oh, and the sign-up will be coming soon, and there's a video that you get to watch. <laughs> this Christmas, instead of building a gingerbread house, let's build a gingerbread nativity. Gingerbread Bash is a sweet, hands-on experience that helps your family remember the true reason for the Christmas season. Together, we'll build gingerbread nativities, hear the Christmas story from the Bible, sing songs, and discover that sometimes the greatest gift comes in the most ordinary box. Uh, for for families, Sheila always does an amazing job of of putting together these family events. And uh, for those with with, with kids, uh, if you want to attend that, it's an opportunity for your kids to to grow in their understanding of the Christmas story and for you to reflect on that together. So 
uh, definitely check that out. And also, like, she, like Sheila said, on that very same day, uh, we're having our dessert night. And if anybody has anything that they'd like to share with the church, this doesn't have to be, uh, you know, we're not going on tour or anything. It's not fancy. But just if you have a song or if you have a skit or, or there's a poem or something uh, Christmassy, probably, but even that, we've got some fudge room on that. You know, if, just come talk to me about that. We would love love to have it together. It's going to be a time of, of uh, church family, just enjoying being with church family at Christmas. This morning, we're here, we're here to worship our God. Um, as staff, we often comment on how, and this church family uh, comes together with a desire to worship God. Uh, and, and we know that uh, worship isn't limited to this room, and it's certainly not limited to singing songs. Uh, worship of our God is wherever we are uh, in how we are living in honor of God. And the beauty of it is, is that it isn't all up to us. The beauty of, of us worshiping God as he was meant to be worshipped is that it's not up to you and me. We're not mustering our, our strength and our will so that we can initiate something of worship to God. Uh, we are just joining in with what he's already doing. God is being being glorified, and he gives us what we need in order to honor him. And he's doing that more and more and more in each life of every Christian. He's growing us in that. So as we, we are going to sing some songs this morning, and as we do that, and as we enter into this whole time together, where worship of God is the primary reason we've gathered through our singing, through our listening to his word, through the sermon, I invite each of us just that our prayer would be, God, just give me everything that I need this morning so that I can worship you more, just with joy. And I invite you to stand, and let's, let's sing these songs together. Let's take a moment, and we're going to talk for a moment about helplessness. Helplessness isn't a word that we like. We don't like feeling like we don't have control, or that we don't have enough power. Helplessness is hard, but it's also beautiful, because we are helpless, in some ways that makes God's strength so much more observable. We could not save ourselves from sin, and God made a way for that. We could not overpower death, and God made a way for that. We could not be worshiping him right now without him, him giving us the ability, the capacity, and the will to do that. We cannot grow on our own closer to Jesus, his spirit takes care of that, is working in us. We just have to submit as those who are helpless to the one who is not helpless. Prior to this service, uh, we, we always gather right before the service. Anybody who's involved in the service, the, the tech team and the worship team and the pastoral team, and, and we, we pray together about what this is going to be today and how God might use this for his glory. And uh, Pastor Terry shared a story this morning, and he said I could share it, so this is okay. Uh, but how he was preparing for his sermon today and going to bed last night and just praying that God would give him joy. Joy to speak the word of God today to us. And this morning he woke up with a picture that God gave him of, of, of the Lord doing CPR on him and putting, putting breath into his lungs. And that's, that's the same for what this is. That's the same for as what living our life for God is. Everything that was our crucial need, Jesus did that for us. Everything's been poured into us. Our life and breath that we had this morning when we woke up, 
God gave us that. And all of it is for his glory. My friends, we're here to honor him. And as we leave this place later, we're still here to honor him. That's what this life is for. And uh, that's what this, this song is about. I'm just going to read this scripture. This is just a part of a verse. But this is what Jesus has for us today, I believe. in. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This is all for him. And all this is from him. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Hey, hey, you want some of these? You want I'm some good. of these? I'm, I'm good. good. I, got, I got extra, man. I got extra. Thank you. Man. Okay, 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 okay. Hey, here's the kickoff. All right, here we go. Here we go. Set the kickoff, and we're underway on Monday night. The Dodgers receives a kickoff on the 20-yard line and is immediately taken over by the coach of other Vikings. What happened to the Vikings? Here we go. First and 10 on the 20-yard line. Ball's handed off to Johnson. Right to the first line. Oh, that's good. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, what a hit. Second down and nine. Johnson drops back the pass. He's got time. The air's going out down the middle. Harrison lays out. Oh, what a catch. An amazing catch. The defender's draped all over. Oh, man, it was a great play. Dude, you got stuff all over your face. Really? Where? Right on your mouth. Oh. Wipe it oh, off. That's disgusting. Sorry, did I get it all? Picture's worth a thousand words, a video's worth more, I guess. Oh boy. Good morning, my name's Terry. I'm so glad to be able to share the message with us uh, this morning. And, and really, the, the, the words of Jesus are going to be read by uh, right now. And uh, I, I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And uh, I'm going to read it for us. And if you could stand with me, if you're able, I'd love that to honor the word of God this morning. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me make, take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. May God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> I just want to acknowledge that it's wonderful to have Priscilla with us this morning. And uh, I'd like us to lead us in prayer now. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, which is a light for our path, a guide for us, Lord. Your word is a mirror that we look into. Your word is a hammer that 
crushes that which needs to be broken. Your word is a double-edged sword that divides our thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Your word, O oh God, penetrates deep, and today we would ask that you do that again. And Lord, even as Kevin shared that picture and reminded us again of this need for you in our lives, we just acknowledge it again before you today. We acknowledge, Lord, that, that we need re revival. We need your life in us. Jesus, lean over us and give us that CPR, that compression massaging of the heart of each one of us so that we might love you first and, and foremost. Breathe new life, Holy Spirit of God, into our lungs that we might have your breath just like we sang about. It's your breath in our lungs. And so help us, God, even as we open your word this morning. And we're just grateful for your spirit that is with us and this very practical word from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, only your Holy Spirit knows all the ways that you're going to take this now and apply it in our relationships and in our own lives. So do what you do best, God. Take your word and uh, let it land. Lord, let it land wherever you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, has got to be among the top 10 most uh, misunderstood, misquoted verses in all of the Bible. I've heard people who have hardly know the Bible uh, quote this verse, and they'll say, stop judging me, you'll hear them say. And we should not be surprised that in a, a world where the secular worldview encourages autonomy and individuality and individual expression and so on, that, that there's also this sense of, uh, uh, of rights and wrongs being like moving targets. And so it's not surprising that people are offended by others as they feel judged by others. Society has taught us that we have the right to decide what we want to do, how we want to live, how we, we don't want to live, and, and we don't have to answer to anyone. So therefore, no one can tell me, judge me, tell me what's right for me. I even saw um, uh, a line of clothing recently. i got to get this thing on. I even saw a line of clothing, clothing recently that... Uh, was aimed at Santa, you know, the guy that decides who's naughty and nice. Yeah, it, well, here it is, line of clothing. I'm going to have to get Sam to advance for me. He says, Dear Santa, stop judging me. <clears throat> you know, it seems like there's a lot of people with a guilty conscience walking around. They're already getting ready for Christmas with that. The interesting thing is that most of us don't think we're judgmental people. We, uh, are we too judgmental? Ask yourself that. Most of us think we, that we're open and fair-minded, that we have a wide tolerance for people who think differently. But I think that notion is being challenged more and more in our generation. And uh, we have good reason to doubt the notion that we are as tolerant as we think we are. And I can wrap it all up, at least part of the answer, in one word, and it's called algorithms. 
And algorithms are sort of exposing that we're not as tolerant as we thought we were. And you know what I'm talking about when I say algorithms, this idea of a set of rules and calculations that are usually generated by a computer. You have a smartphone or you have a computer and much of your life is being informed by algorithms. Because you watched such and such a movie, you're going to also see a whole bunch of other such and such movies on your device. Because you saw these kinds of searches on your computer or, or, or smartphone, you're going to see other sort, similar things come up your way. And your neighbor, your sister, your brother, your father, your mother, your daughter will not see those same, same things come your way because their algorithms are uniquely made for them as well. They drive most of your experience on Amazon. Spotify, Netflix, Kindle, Hulu, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and a whole bunch of other apps and sites. The app itself decides the content that you will see, the articles you will look at, the news you will read. It's no wonder that some of us are not doing our own thinking for ourselves, perhaps. Kerry Newhoff posted something recently that proposed there are four challenges that algorithms present to us, dangers that could be presented to us. The first one is that we have deeper confirmation bias if we're not careful. Confirmation bias, that tendency to converse on subjects with people that have the same view as you do on those subjects. And algorithms simply underline that tendency. You see more of what you already like, what you already believe, what you already think. You just see more of it. Secondly, we can become more tribal and extreme. Political analysts are already telling us that, that the middle ground is disappearing on the political landscape and you're either increasingly left or right, and algorithms fuel that. Without some checks and balances, you yourself will find your whole world believing, behaving, and acting the same as you. Do you want more of you in your life? That's all. Thirdly, our choices become more limited. Now, I have a wide variety and taste in music. I like everything from worship music to classical music and jazz and rock and, and bluegrass and even a little bit of country. And uh, I think I confuse the algorithms on my iTunes account. At least I'm trying to. But whether you are shopping online or you're picking a movie out or positioning, posting on social media, uh, you should beware of just wanting more of you because you look around at life like this, tunnel vision. And then finally, we lose the ability to think freely if we're not careful. We're, we're, we lose the ability to think independently an anthropologist by the name of uh, Yuvai Noah Arari on a TED Talk argued fairly convincingly that our minds are being hacked and that human hacking is the ability, of course, to control what we think, and it's happening subtly every day. So what can we do about that? Well, we can, first of all, read and listen widely. We can actually choose to do that to read books and articles and things that are not normally our scope of thinking. We can learn from people who disagree with us instead of judging them, actually have a conversation without having to end it, and then embrace 
what is called first principles thinking. What is first principles thinking? It's the idea or it's the ability to think through an issue all the way to its foundation instead of accepting narratives that come your way because someone else has thought it through their way and you're just believing whatever they have said and assume that they're okay and correct. So this idea of critical thinking or this idea of first principles thinking is actually saying, I'm going to think this through myself. I'm going to do my own research and go right to the foot of it and see where it lands. Well, how does this all have to do with, uh, what does it have to do with Matthew chapter 7? Well, the past three years shows us that, indeed, much conflict arises out of differing opinions. In this passage, I want to tell you, Jesus is not addressing a whole bunch of subjects. What we see Jesus doing in this text that we've read this morning is he is rather giving us advice on the role that we are to take in in each other's lives. So he's not going to tell you about the different subjects that we could argue and disagree about. He is saying, this is the role, Christian, that you should play in your, your brothers' and sisters' lives. And if you do that right and don't do these other roles, you'll be okay. So that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to look at three roles that Jesus says you are not to play the role of judge, the role of hypocrite, and the role of thinking that you can be indiscriminate in your sharing and judging. Jesus is warning against acting judgmentally, acting hypocritically, and acting indiscriminately. And then instead, what he does is he calls us to examine what a brother and sister relationship looks like in the family of God and in the body of Christ. So let's take a look at this very first one, and that is we are warned against acting as judges. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Clearly, when Jesus says, judge not, he is not asking us to put our brains on the shelf when you enter the church. He's not asking us to set aside our mental faculties when we're having a a debate or a discussion about some very critical issues. He is not forbidding the opinions that we naturally arrive at on a whole plethora of subjects. We cannot avoid having a viewpoint. In verse 15, later in this same chapter, Jesus warns against false teachers and false prophets. And he says to us, for you will know them by the fruit of their lives. Well, how can you possibly know a false prophet and a false teaching without actually critical thinking and possibly thinking it through as first principles thinking calls us to? We cannot help but have opinions about all kinds of things that you and I will disagree on, perhaps. Name a subject under the sun, guaranteed, there will be people close to you in your life that you disagree about that with. The word here for judge in Greek is krino. It means to separate, to choose, to select. It's also used in the court of law to reach a verdict, guilty or not guilty on something. This is the word krino. John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge rightly or correctly. Righteously is the word. Judge righteously. Don't judge by appearances. 
The kind of judgments that Jesus says we should not have are judgments that are jumping to conclusions, judgments that don't go to the backstory, judgments that don't think the matter through, don't listen to the accused first, judgments that are superficial, surface knowledge, judgments that are condemning before they're listening and condoning. And so partly the reason is because this kind of judgment causes us to not see the whole picture, it causes us to not care about the individual, and it causes us to not think about our own baggage, our own stuff, okay? And so that's one of the things that Jesus is pointing out, is that when you get your focus on judging someone else, you've forgotten yourself, in the process, and often because of the issue, you've forgotten the soul, the individual that's underneath the issue. And so Jesus is condemning this. This is a a, a condemning, is unloving and critical, more concerned with opinions rather than being concerned with the person. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus is condemning. By the way, (laughs) excuse me, and you'll have heard me already There's two authors that I've really enjoyed in the Sermon on the Mount, and I've been depending on them, and I've been quoting them many Sundays. One of them is John Stott, Christian Counterculture, and another one is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. So I'm going to quote them again. In this case, John Stott says that the command here to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. I like that. Bonhoeffer says this, when we judge other people, we confront them with a spirit of detachment. Doesn't that communicate well? You know, you're you're making a judgment about someone, but you're doing it from a spirit of detachment, not love. Bonhoeffer says that observing that love has neither time nor opportunity for this. If we love, we can never observe another person with detachment. But that's what happens when we get on to issues we disagree about, we start to become judgmental and the person is lost. So what makes something judgmental or not has a lot to do with the spirit in which we approach the person and speak into their lives. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.5 that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, if you have all those lined up, you're probably going to be okay in that conversation. If you have, in other words, uh, a, a true love, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, you can probably engage well without judging. As a pastor for several decades, I could tell you times when I have judged correctly and I was accused of being judgmental. And I can also tell you of times when I was the judgmental one. There was a couple of occasions when I was sitting in my office this week, thinking back over the last 40 years or so, and I can think of times when I was judgmental. One of them came to me when I was thinking about it. It was in another church and I was, I was the pastor, a member came to me, <clears throat> and the member came to me about a couple that was serving in leadership. And he was telling me about something this couple was doing regularly that he felt was completely wrong. Now, it wasn't actually something biblically that I could say, point chapter and verse and say, absolutely wrong, black and white, no, you shouldn't do this, Christian. It was one of those gray areas 
But they came to me, and I had great respect for this member that came to me. And so I ended up following through on it and meeting with the couple. And I tried to raise the matter with them. Well, that really what I had done, again, this is, this is some time ago, but what I had done was I prejudged them. You know, you talk about being judgmental. Well, I prejudged them. I didn't get to the whole story. I didn't hear them out. I didn't even talk to them about it. I kind of went into the meeting with my mind made up on what had to be done. They were offended. They left the church. Fast forward 20 years. Fast forward 20 years. A few years ago, I was at a church service in another city, and the woman of this couple was in the service. And before the service, I saw her. I was just praying about it during the service. I knew I had to go talk to her. I went to her right after the service, and I said, I think I owe you an apology. And immediately she said, no, you don't. And then she followed through on saying, God used what you told us that day to give us a wake-up call. And we, I'm now grateful for that. Now, I'm, I'm saying to you this because God took my poor practice of being judgmental prematurely and he redeemed the situation. But that doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. And so we have to be careful about how we think these things through. To not prejudge. To be careful. Paul's words, Romans 14.4, Who are you to pass judgment on another's servant? Jesus warns us then against being judges because the same measurement that we judge is going to be measured out on us. He's really hinting at the golden rule, which is coming up next week in verse 12. Whether, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. That's the first one. Secondly, I want to move on to say that we're warned against acting hypocritically. In verse uh, 3 to 5, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in yours? You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye and you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, I believe that much of the humor of Jesus escapes us. I think it's partly because we're not, most of us, not Hebrew thinkers and we don't know Hebrew linguistically. And so a lot of the, the, the humor that Jesus shares in the Gospels, it, it just goes right over our heads, just like most of the dad jokes I share go right over some of my kids' heads, you know, just, they just don't get it. Actually, when, when I was, when we were in Bolivia and we were learning Spanish, I remember this great, huge aha moment that came. It was in a, at the end of our first term, four years in, and I was sitting around a, a table with seminary students that we were teaching, and I was having lunch, and they were just flying Spanish back and forth, all kinds of jokes. And I was actually getting the jokes. But even better was I added to one joke, and they laughed. And they weren't laughing at me, I don't think. Usually they were. They were laughing with me. You see, here I think Jesus is using humor that maybe isn't the kind of Canadian 21st century humor that we are used to, but he's using humor. It's an exaggeration humor. 
And he's asking you to look and think about this. Put this in your head. Can you imagine you having a little bit of sawdust, little speck of dust in your eye? And then I come along and I've got a two by four sticking out of my eye. And I'm going to help you with your little speck of dust. It's, it's humorous. It's exaggeration, hyperbole. And Jesus is just saying, that's ridiculous. Everybody gets the point, of course. That's why I didn't mind using the corny video uh, that we saw earlier about the football guys. Because it's humorous. It's, it's obscene. Which guy was helping who? Hypocrisy. You see, it's funny even if you have had someone talk to you or judge you who is so clearly making the same error or a worse error themselves. Have you not had that? I, I, Pat and I have had that on a couple of occasions. There is one or two people that we know and we can't believe, we, we just got to laugh at it privately because we can't believe that that person is actually judging us that way when, like, do you not see the nose on your face, so to speak? And so if you've had that happen to you, yeah, you either cry or you laugh. Bonhoeffer again, let me share what he says. Judging others makes us blind, whereas loving is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Gan Stott says this, we have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others, minimize the gravity of our own. We seem to find it impossible when comparing ourselves with others to be strictly objective and impartial. On the contrary, we have a rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. End quote. That was John Stott. Good, good points. Do you not see that in yourself sometimes? You cut yourself a lot of slack, but you don't always do that for somebody else. In verse 5, that sentence in verse 5 begins with one word. Hypocrite. <laughs> it's just, it, just, it doesn't say you hypocrite in the Greek text. It just says hypocrite. How can you do that? Jesus is using a compound word. In Greek, it's a compound word. It's ipo, hypo. And then crino, hyperjudge. <laughs> you hyperjudge. So this idea, this word, uh, hypocrite, is the idea that that was actually eventually it came to be used of an actor on a stage because you know how when some actors on the stage, if you really are acting and communicating well, you exaggerate to get a, across. The emotion, the, the moment, you know, you, often actors will exaggerate. It's a hypocrite. It's a, it's, that's what came to be acting a part, not being genuine. And so Jesus is saying, don't hyperjudge each other. It's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, he's, he's saying don't over-exaggerate when you judge somebody else, but also don't be blind to your own self because you got baggage too. And then thirdly, Jesus is warning in this scripture against acting indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. And in verse 6 it says, 
you know, by the way, verse 6, you might think, that, that's got to be disconnected, right, from this text. I mean, it sounds weird. Uh, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And a lot of commentaries, they don't know what to do with this verse. Of course, they, some of them take the traditional lines of understanding Jewish culture and Gentile culture, and so they interpret it as, as uh, refer, referring to the gospel and don't, don't uh, put something so precious so holy before someone who's going to reject it. As we've seen, Jesus sometimes has used the word Gentile to refer to unbeliever in the context of a Jewish audience. And so one of the things that I want you to know, I, I believe that, that the most important way to understand this is right in context of talking about being judgmental. That's the theme. And you remember the, one of the most important rules of hermeneutics or of interpretation of the Scripture is to always interpret the Bible in the most natural way possible. What is the most natural meaning of the text? And to me, the most natural meaning of the text is to say he's talking about making judgments about one another. And I think one of the most obvious things that he's saying in this verse is that He's warning against making judgments indiscriminately. In other words, same thing to everybody. That's a dangerous way to go. And so Jesus, I believe, is warning against uh, acting indiscriminately in making judgments. And indeed, uh, dogs were not household pets in the ancient world. They were junkyard scavengers. Gentiles were often spoken of in derogatory terms by some Jews of, as being that. Pigs were forbidden meat for Jews and dirty animals. So, so Jesus is saying, don't take something precious and then just put it before dogs or pigs. But I don't believe that's the primary meaning here. The primary meaning is talking about when we should judge and when we should not judge, when we should share our opinions and when we should not share our opinions, when we should point out someone's fault and when we should not point out someone's fault. You don't point out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye and you don't point out the speck in your brother's eye when you know full well that they could care less what you think about the speck in their eye. You just don't do it. Why would you share with someone something so important, so precious, when you know they're just going to stamp on it and dismiss it? And so, if they don't care about what you have to say because it's you, if they don't respect your opinion, if they don't respect your God, if they don't respect your Bible, if they don't respect your religion, if they don't respect your, your way of thinking through an issue, and you've already known that, you've had experience with that, don't throw something worth worthwhile before them to just trample on them and then turn and attack you with more ammunition. This is scripture, this uh, principle is throughout scripture in different ways. I had a very dear retired pastor in my church in Thunder Bay. His name was Reverend John Harvey. And I would sit with him every so often and, and he would say, I can't tell you how many times he'd say this to me. He'd say, Terry, Terry, never give advice because wise men don't need it and fools will not receive it. I try to remember that 
Wait until someone asks your opinion. Wait until someone wants to know what you think on a subject and then give them your counsel. Indeed, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. That is the way I interpret verse verse 6. Don't give what is holy to someone who you know by experience is going to trample underfoot into the mud and, and turn and just go back on you. The natural meaning of the text is a warning against acting indiscriminately about judgments. Jesus, in chapter 10 of Matthew, says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I really believe this is a principle that just means you don't have to speak to everybody the same way about the same subjects and is not hypocritical. You're not changing your subject. You're not some chameleon fitting in. You're just not always blying out all the truth of what you think or believe on some subject with every person in the same way. So, so far, I think there's at least four times when we're to refrain from sharing our views, from sharing our judgments. Number one, we're called to be careful about sharing our views. Next slide, please. When we are glancing, when we have glaring inconsistencies in the same area, then I think we should hold back. I mean, if you're hypocritical and you've got the same issues and you haven't even addressed them, Either hold back, either pause and get it together yourself, or at least confess it. Hey, I'm struggling with this too, and I I just think you are as well. Could we talk about... That's a different story. Another time is when you probably should refrain from sharing and, and judging is when the person is an unbeliever and they have a completely different code of ethics, a completely different worldview. What fellowship does light have with darkness? I mean, it's just not worth it. You're not going to arrive at the same. If you start with two different worldviews, you will not end on any subject at the same place in most cases. Be careful. Another time when you should be careful not to share your views and make your judgments is when the issue is a disputable matter, a gray area. And the fact is, is that you know all kinds of brothers and sisters in Christ that have different views than you do, and you can just agree to disagree. And you, you just need to humble yourself to say, maybe I'm not right on this one. Maybe we're just going to suspend our judgment until Jesus returns and in heaven we'll figure it out. And then finally, another time when you should probably refrain from sharing your judgments and that is that when you have seen by experience, verse 6, when you have seen by experience that they don't really care what you think. They just don't. A person is not open to receive whatever you have to share. So be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. I send you out like sheep among the wolves. Why would a sheep walk up to a wolf and say, hey, you want to talk about something? No. So Jesus warns against acting as judges, as hypocrites, as indiscriminants. And then I want to finally point out the fourth and final point of our sermon is that He calls us to relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice three times in verses 3 to 5, the word brother is used. That's that's the, the way that Jesus wants us to relate, brothers and sisters. 
We should look upon each other. We should treat each other. We're part of the same family. We have the same father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that some brothers and sisters fight. I know that some families don't get along. But Jesus is referring to God's family, and he's saying, this is the way I want it to be in my family. And so if you see each other as brother and sister, you can't behave in a detached way like a cold judge. If you see each other as brother and sister, you can't behave like some blind, self-absorbed hypocrite. If you see each other as brother and sister, you can't be some foolish indiscriminate that just blahs out everything to anybody because you care about feelings and perspectives and you know how it's going to land. And what you say is equally important as how you say it. And so... Jesus is cautioning us to be experiencing a family love, a father's love to guide us. And friends, I want to tell you, this is where I see the gospel in this passage. I always want to find the gospel in any passage. And I see the gospel in this passage in the reminder that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are reminded that we are more alike than we are different. We have the Father's love in our hearts. We are reminded that as brothers and sisters, we have just one place. Each one of us has just one place at the table of the Father. We are reminded that it is the Father's good graces that have invited us to the table in the first place. And it is by His good graces that we remain at the table of the Lord. And that no other brother or sister has the authority or the right to dismiss us from the table. And if we don't have a place at the table, it is because of the Father's word. Not my word, not your word. And if we lose our place at the table momentarily for a season because of our bad choices... And there's something of an estrangement with the Father. It's the Father's discipline that brings us back to the table. It's the Father's love that calls us back to repentance. And if we're restored to our place at the table, it's at the Father's invitation. Right? And it's completely at his expense. And so, the main responsibility for each one of us, according to the way I think it through, is threefold. Number one, number one, Christian, number one, this is your first responsibility, enjoy the Father. Enjoy the Father. That's what I was thinking last night. I need joy. I want to enjoy you, Father. That's number one. Enjoy the Father and enjoy the banquet that he's invited you to. His banner over me is love. He's invited me to his banqueting table. So number one, Christian, this is your job, is focus on enjoying the Father. Secondly, your job is to be amazed that his mercy has extended to you. So you do your own game. You look at yourself And when you look at yourself and you think about the fact that the Father's got a place with your name at the table, you're just amazed at the mercy that has been extended to you. 
So that's your second job. One job, number one, is enjoy the Father and all that the Father has at his banqueting table. Number two job is look at yourself and say, what am I doing here under the grace of Jesus Christ, unworthy sinner that I am, at the table of the Lord enjoying all the benefits that were given to Christ? And then the third responsibility that you have at the table is to be welcoming of every other sinner that also doesn't deserve a place at the table, and you greet them with brotherly love. I believe that's our responsibility. In the Song of Solomon, we read that, that song that we used to sing back in the day when I was younger. He's, he's brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. Do you remember that song? He's brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. I want us to uh, take a moment this morning as the worship team comes. I want to conclude my sermon with a very pertinent scripture that I just want it to land on us just as we began with Matthew 7. I would like to end with a comment on the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And so would you mind standing again for the reading of the word in, Ma- in Luke chapter 18 <clears throat> and beginning in verse 9. Listen to what Jesus teaches on this occasion. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Lord God, you have invited us to your table. It is you that offered that to us. It is you who restores us to your table when we wander. It is you who has given us this gift that we could never have earned and we did not deserve. And we thank you. Here we are, your children, standing in this room together, declaring that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that can give us all of this for all of eternity, this relationship with you. And again, we recognize that it is only you that allows us to continue to brightly honor you in every way that we can during the week. It is your strength, it is your breath in our lungs. And so we ask God that you would show us as we go from here how you want us to honor you and what that looks like and that we would submit to how you want us to worship you this week. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being our friend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.